Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Acts chapter 12. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly! And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals, and so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him, and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so, so they said, It is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal aid their friend, they asked for peace, because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. All right, as we've been studying the the book of Acts, we've seen that there was spiritual war that immediately began against the church. And and as the church began to expand, that spiritual war, if you would, began to ramp up as well. This shouldn't have taken anybody by surprise because Jesus had already declared to his disciples, his apostles, before he died died on the cross, before he was crucified, before he was raised up, he said to them, he says, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming when that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. Then drop in verse 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. 
In the world you will have tribulation, but be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. That as you go forth, as my representatives, as my witnesses, people aren't going to like it. In fact, there are going to be people who believe that they're serving God who will persecute you. In fact, they will potentially even put you to, to death. So in this world, you're going to have philipsis. You're going to be pressured. You're going to have this tribulation period. But I want you to be what? Be a good cheer. The word there, if you remember that when we went through 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we talked about this, is to be courageous, is if you would, to be encouraged. I want you to be, to, to be of good courage. Okay, So it kind of, it's almost like um, Yahweh speaking to Joshua to be strong and of good courage. That in all this is going to go on, I want you to have great courage to be of good cheer as you go through this thing. Why? Because? Because I've overcome the world. That you know, you know that I've overcome the world. So it doesn't matter what the world can do to you because I've overcome the world. Now, again, then, as we've gone through the book of Acts, we've seen how this has come true. Okay? So the church grows by thousands, right? And so then Peter and John are on their way to the temple. They see the lame man. They heal him, right? Silver and gold have we not, but such as we have give we unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And so he rose up, leaping and praising God, right? And so he gets an opportunity. Peter gets the opportunity to proclaim to the, to the crowds. But then immediately the Sanhedrin send out the, the goon squad, right? They send out the authorities to arrest them, okay? And so they are... Um, they're let go because this guy had been lame for 40 years. What can they do? But it begins to ramp up. Then the apostles are taken in because at that time with Peter and John um, being arrested, they were told not to proclaim, not to preach in the name of Jesus again. So they are. The apostles are arrested. They're whipped. They're scourged. And then they're, they're let go, right? Because Gamaliel stands up in the middle of the, of the Sanhedrin at that time and, and warns them not to do too much more to them. So they're scourged. They're beaten. They're let go. They go to the, the, the house where they know prayer is going to be made, similar to what we read from Peter today, okay? He knows exactly where to go, okay? And so they go there. Prayer is being made, and the, and the church prays. Remember, the, the walls are shaken, right? The Holy Spirit is there. Uh, amazing. And what do they pray for? Does anybody remember? Say again. Boldness. They pray for boldness. They don't want to back down to the pressure, the persecution that's going on. And so they continue to proclaim the gospel, right, to the point where Stephen, okay, he is proclaiming it to the synagogue of the freedmen. They get outraged at him to the gnashing of teeth, right? And what do they do to Stephen? They stone him, okay? And so they kill him right there. They stone him. They're afraid of doing these things in front of the Romans because they don't want to get have this the, the Roman authorities, you know, having the riots and stuff. But now they're, they're just beside themselves. It doesn't matter anymore. So they kill Stephen. And at that time, everybody laid their, their cloaks at the feet of Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Saul then takes the banner. I think he was already probably the one who instigated that one. We can't prove it, but the, 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 the remainder, as it, the story goes on from there, kind of indicates that, okay? Because now Saul begins to persecute the church even greater. He goes house to house, remember, looking for them, and he drags them out. The, the men, the women, the children, drags them out in order for them to be arrested, okay? And then that's not good enough. He decides he's going to go to Damascus, Okay? So the persecution begins to spread even further beyond Jerusalem and all Judea. And now he's going to Damascus. But it's while he's going to Damascus that the sovereign king, who we're going to talk about today, Jesus, trumps Saul of Tarsus, and he brings him the gospel. It's just hard for you to kick against the prick, Saul. What do you have me to do, Lord? I want you to go to Damascus, and I want you to wait at the house of Judas and Straight Street, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll send you word. So Saul gets saved. What does Saul then begin to immediately do? He begins to proclaim the gospel that he was trying to persecute, right? And he's confounding the Jews, or yeah, the Jews in Damascus, such that the Jews in Damascus want to what? Do the same thing to him that he wanted to do to the other Christians. Isn't that kind of fun? What goes around comes around if you would right and so now you have the persecution of Saul in Damascus they let him down over the wall in a, in a basket he goes to Jerusalem right and after the the apostles and the, and the believers accept him there he begins to witness in Jerusalem and what happens in Jerusalem same thing 
And now they have to secret him out of Jerusalem to Caesarea, and then he travels back to Tarsus, okay, because they want to kill him in Jerusalem. It doesn't end there. The story we now have covered over the last couple of weeks follows now Barnabas and Saul into to Antioch, right? And so um, last week, oh, sorry, and make a point here. Sovereignty of God, because we're going to be talking about the sovereign king, right? The sovereignty of God does not mean that we will not be persecuted or we will not suffer. I want to state this right up front, because a lot of people, they struggle with this. Why do bad things happen to good people, right? Why does God allow his servants to suffer, okay? So I thought he was sovereign. You know, why does man have more power? The sovereignty of God does not mean we will not suffer persecution, okay, or uh, suffer harm. Rather, the sovereignty of God assures us that through the persecution or our deliverance, or our deliverance, our God is working his what? His plan. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose, okay? So last week, okay, we see that coming out of last week that Barnabas and Saul were sent by the church of Antioch to send a gift. Do you remember? Okay? Part of the stewardship, okay? That they were sending a gift to Judea because um, Agabus stated that there was going to be a, um, a famine and it was going to be particularly hard in Jerusalem. And so they sent a gift to the church, okay? And they sent it by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So I want you to understand that what's going to happen now in chapter 12 is during the time that they're there, because you'll see in verse 25, we're only going to verse 24, but verse 25, Barnabas and Saul go back to Antioch, okay? So they're, they're there in Jerusalem. So this gives you a time frame when all this is going on. You know, life is happening every place, and if you're like me, I live in this tunnel vision kind of thing, and I feel like everybody, I don't really feel this way, but I really do, like everybody else goes into freeze frame. You guys, I don't know what you did this week, but you were in freeze frame, and you only got into animation this morning because you're, you come into my sphere of reference, Okay, and that sounds weird, but it's, it's like that with my family. You know, it's like when I left for work in the morning, my family. And I don't know how they switched their positions to when I came home, but then all of a sudden it's like, oh, dad, you know, and so, and so everybody comes back alive again. So sometimes we can read the Bible that way. You know, like I, we go from this to this to this, and like life just stopped in all those other places when I'm picking it up here. But life was continuing on in Jerusalem at that time, Okay. And so when we read this account, okay, a lot of times we think of this account that we're going to read this, mor- this morning about as the, the deliverance of Peter, Peter being delivered from the prison. But if you'll note that this account begins with who? And who's it end with? Herod. So there's a lot going on in this account, not about Peter. Does it make sense? And there's a lot of things that are already happening. And so from when I read this passage, I don't just read about this as being a, a miraculous um, release of Peter, which we'll talk about, but this is God. This is Jesus Christ, our sovereign king, revealing that he holds the trump card, if you would, over the kings of the earth. And that he has the right to do whatever he chooses to do. He can overrule when he chooses to overrule, but he doesn't always overrule. He has given man a free will. He has allowed the nations to rule. But as they rule, it doesn't take him by surprise. And he has a plan that he is working out. And his plan will continue to work out. And when Satan, think of it as like a chess game, when Satan makes that move that he thinks, aha, I got it now! God says, no, dude, I knew you were going to do that. Have you guys ever seen, um, uh, oh, uh, Bobby Fisher. Um, finding Bobby Fisher. Search, searching for Bobby Fisher. Have you ever seen it? It's a chess movie. Yeah. And uh, so if you haven't seen it, it's a good movie. Okay. Just, it's, not, it's not dirty. It's, it's a clean movie as, as those non-Christians go, uh, movies go. And, and if you know who Bobby Fisher is, Bobby Fisher was an American chess master. Okay. Became a world champion and then he disappears. Okay. And so the whole thing is about trying to find a new one. And it's about Josh Waitzkin. I know that just ruled off, off the tip of your tongues too. But Josh Waitzkin won to be in a, a, a world champion as well. And, but he wasn't like the, a lot of the chess champions, chess masters, who like they, they, they can't think otherwise. They're not normal people, you know. And uh, you get so involved in this thing, and all you think about is the strategy and everything like this. But Josh, was, he's now into MMA and that kind of stuff. Isn't it kind of weird? Like this guy goes from being a chess champion to a, a champion MMA guy. Anyways, um, but the movie's about him when he was a kid. And he was able to play his dad chess while he's in a different room. His dad's at the board playing chess. And, 
and he's off in his room playing other games, and his dad would call out his move, and, and Josh would say, no, you can't make that move. You know, and then he'd call out his move, and he'd beat his dad from another room because it's all in his mind. And so he, uh, he was trained by Bruce Pendelfini at some point, and so I know all these names mean nothing to you, but I love chess, okay? And so, and so um, in one t- at one point, Bruce Pendelfini, um, they're meeting together, and, and, he, and he takes the board, and he just goes, just, wipe, just takes all the pieces, just wipes them totally off the board. And Josh looks at him. And he says, what's your next move? He has total clarity now. The board was confusing him. He was playing in his brain anyway. He knew the next moves. Now, how's this play out? He's now in this one championship later on down the road. And he's playing against the kid who is trained, equipped for this moment, has been the champion, right? And so they're together there. Everybody's watching on this video screen from the other room and that kind of stuff, so there's no, conf- no, no noise. And he looks down, and it seems like the other kid has him. And in his brain, he clears the board. And he looks at it. And he puts out his hand to the, and the guy, the guy says, are you asking, me, asking for a, a, a draw? He says, no, I'm offering you a draw. He says, you're going to lose. And I'm offering you the chance to draw. The kid looked at the board and says, you're nuts. I've got you. He says, you don't. You just don't know it. I'm offering you a draw. And the kid says, smacks his hand away. And then 20 moves later, or probably a little less than that, he wins. In the same way, that's just minor. That's a man. That's a kid. God knows the board. God knows 20 moves from now, 100 moves from now. Before you ever made your first move by putting the the pawn out from the queen by one, he already knew you were going to do it. And he knew what his next play was going to be. The kings of the earth can do nothing to confound him. That's what I love about Behold Your God. What a song. He is our God. He knows all things. He knows the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning. That's why he's the Alpha and Omega. And that's what we see. So in this passage, it's going to start off with what I refer to as a prologue. It's about Herod. And there's going to be the epilogue. And it's about Herod. Because this whole thing is about God being sovereign over the affairs of men. And the first thing we see in this whole thing is about Herod's determination Herod wants to exterminate Christians. But not because he doesn't like Christians. You've got to understand this. It, this. This has nothing really to do about what Christians believed. This had everything to do about power. Herod was his own God. He loved himself. And his desire was to use the Christians as a tool to gain greater power. So first thing you have to ask yourself is, who's Herod Agrippa? Now, we don't have time to go into full of Herod Agrippa, but if you love intrigue and that kind of stuff, it's interesting to study the, the, the family of the Herods. Okay? Herod the Great, you remember Herod the Great? He was there, um, the original Herod, right? Herod Agrippa the I, because okay, he has a son, Herod Agrippa II, okay? um, was a grandson of Herod the Great through um, Aristobulus. Okay? But Herod... Um, the original Herod, Herod the Great, was, got nervous, thought people were continually trying to um, set him up and going to kill him and, and, and these things. And he thought that about his own wives. He had numerous wives. And he thought that about his own kids. So he kills Aristobulus, his own son, and sends Agrippa off to Rome. So he doesn't kill Agrippa, but he kills his dad. Okay? And so he sends Berenike, who was Aristobulus' wife, and Agrippa to Rome. Now, Berenike happened to be a friend of the sister-in-law of Tiberius. Anybody know who Tiberius was? Tiberius Caesar. That's exactly right. And so they have a good stead in, in Rome. And he is able to make friends with Caligula, okay, who winds up giving him a, a kingdom 
um, when Philip, Herod Philip, who was up in the, in the Galilee region, he dies, right? And so Caligula gives him that tetrarch up there, okay? His, um, uh, not Archelaus, um, who was the, the, the Herod that stole Philip's wife? Not Archelaus, but anyways, Antipas, Herod Antipas. And so, so Herod Antipas doesn't like it, and he tries to, to say things about that, but Caligula winds up getting killed, and Claudius becomes the new Caesar, okay? And Claudius has a, has a relation in with Tiberius as well in that realm. And at that moment when Caligula is, is being killed, there is, um, you basically, as a Roman, you were, if you were in a leadership, you, you, you took your shot at who's going to become the next Caesar. Does that make sense? Okay, think about how, how politics happened in the United States. And, you, and you're going to back one of the candidates. And if the candidate gets elected, you get what? You get favors. If, if the other candidate wins, you fall into disfavor, right? Well, so he took a shot behind Cla- Claudius. Claudius um, gets it. And so Antipas tries to discredit um, Agrippa, but it doesn't happen. He winds up getting all of that northern region. And then Claudius winds up giving him the entirety of Israel. Okay, he was the only king, the last king to have it, and he reigned, if you would, we'll talk about this at the very end, from about 41 to 44 um, A.D. So I wish John was here, but Donald, you can pass that on to John. We now have at least a, a marker that we can go back to. Okay, that this passage, chapter 12, is happening in the 40s, early 40s. Okay, again, I don't put my stock on the fact that he died in 44 A.D., but that's just what they state. And so that's pretty close, okay? So all this is going on. That's who he was, okay? And he was brought up in Rome, okay? Um, and so his purpose then was as a, um, an Israelite, he wasn't really, he was an Edomian, which means he was of Edom, right? So he was really an Edomite. That's what the Edomians were, okay? But he was there in that area, and now he was from Rome. And so what he was seeking to do was seeking to be that channel that was going to bring together Israel in Rome. So think, you got to think politics. This is all going on behind the scenes, okay? I know there's not a whole lot stated stay there in those first couple of verses, but that's really what's happening. It gives you kind of a background of how this is all playing out, okay? And so he's got to find a way to curry the favor, if you would, of the Jews. What's the best way at this moment to curry the favor of the Jews? Persecute the Christians. Do you get it? So it has nothing to do with Christianity. He doesn't care. This has nothing to do. This is all about politics. This is a, a, a people group that he can start beating up on that the Jews will say, yeah, he's our man. I want you to think that through when it comes to politics in the United States. People play Christians all the time. They play us. They'll say the right things. So that the religious right will what? Back them. Well, not just conform, but back them into vote. Back them at the vote. Can I challenge you to think about what someone believes honestly and not just what they're going to play the game with? My God reigns regardless of who the President of the United States is. Regardless of what he looks like, regardless of what his name is, regardless of whether he's a male or a female. Okay? My God reigns. And he rules over the kings of the earth. Do you believe it? It's hard. I promise you, it's hard. When we look at what's going on in our world to, to really remember all the time that our God is a sovereign God and that he overrules because of the things that he allows. Well, what does he do? He kills James. Who's James? He's one of the inner three. Peter, James, and John, right? He's one of the inner three. He was one of the ones that went up onto the Mount of Transfiguration. He's this with Jesus. If you're talking about any of them that are this with Jesus, you got Peter, James, and John. He's not one of those, you know, James or Thaddeus or, you know, Bartholomew or whatever, you know, one of these other guys that just kind of were kind of on the, on the sides of it. And he wasn't even one of those disciples that weren't even one of the twelves. He was one of the three. And before we talk about the deliverance of Peter, you need to understand that your God allowed James, who was this with him, 
to be beheaded. Do you understand? Herod had no power over James. God allowed James to die. We read past that. We don't like this part. We focus on Peter being delivered. We pray and we, we claim deliverance from Peter. We cl- Why don't you claim beheading? Why don't you claim execution? Why don't you claim being a martyr? Because it's not appealing to us in this life. But do you realize that Papillon. If you ever saw the movie, you get it. To be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord. In what man thought they were performing evil to James, they were giving him an early present. Peter's going to go on. He's going to want to hanging on a cross and, and seeing people uh, flamed in, in tar and stuff like that. It wasn't a beautiful thing that Peter lived through. James is done. He's with the Lord. But our sovereign God allowed that. His death, he was beheaded. But again, he had asked for that. <laughs> Not really, but he did. Be careful what you ask for. James and John came and said, we, we want you, teacher, we want you to give you... Give us what we ask. And he says, well, okay, what do you ask for? We want, you to, we, we want to sit at your left hand and right hand when you come into your glory. Jesus says, well, are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they say, yeah, of course. Sure, we can do it. Little did they know what he was really talking about. They're going to be baptized with the baptism that he's baptized with. James is beheaded. John is the one who lives the longest, but as if church history is accurate, if tradition is hist- accurate. He's boiled in oil, and he survives it. Then he's thrown onto the Isle of Patmos, where he lives for a, a period of time. Okay, And so they are going to be baptized, if you would, immersed with the immersion, but not the way they thought. So it didn't take Jesus by surprise. He said he's going to do it. But his position, again, he's not replaced like Judas was. This is an important little step. Okay, Jesus said that they would s- sit on 12 thrones, in, in, the, in, the new, in the kingdom. Judas was replaced because he was a traitor. James was not replaced. Now the 12 are starting to what? Be killed. They're not being replaced. I think this is an important point for us to understand when it comes to then the, um, what's the word? Succession of apostolic office. Do you understand? There was no replacement for him. He just dies off. All right, so we go into the storyline, Peter's, um, Peter's deliverance. First of all, we see his arrest, right? Herod's intent, again, is to please the Jews. That's what he says. He saw how much it pleased the Jews when he killed James, so he now arrests Peter, okay? When was Peter arrested? Anybody know? What's it say in there? What's it say in the passage? When was it? During the Feast of Unleavened Bread, okay? So if you remember when we talked about through John, that Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were, were seen to be as one, okay? The Passover happens on the 14th day of Nisan, okay? That the, the, um, it is, becomes the day of preparation for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But on that day, okay, remember, it starts at sundown, goes to sundown, so the 14th day of Nisan, okay, which was called Passover in, in the book of Exodus, okay, was the day that they would choose to Passover lamb, okay? And, and then they would, at twilight, um, of that day, they would sacrifice it, okay? Um, and then they would roast it, okay? So they would sacrifice the Passover lamb, they would roast it, and then the beginning of the 15th day, which is now nighttime, okay, which is supper, okay, they would eat it, and that would mark the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which would then go on for seven days, okay? And the first day, the 15th day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a, um, was a holy convocation, a high Shabbat, okay? And then the seventh day, was a holy convocation, a high Shabbat, okay? So it is during this time of the unleavened bread that, so Passover, unleavened bread, whichever way you want to call it, in this eight-day feast, rather than one day and seven days, they made it into an eight-day, okay? He's, he's arrested during this time, but he knows enough that he's not going to kill him during the feast, okay? He's going to wait to the end of it, and then he's going to offer a sacrifice, not to God, 
but he's going to offer a sacrifice to the Jews. Because he's going to appease them. He's going to work in, work in, bless you, work in a little bit more um, to, to, for his politicalness, right? So it's going to be a public execution of another leader, but he has a concern. The last time Peter was arrested and thrown in prison, he got out. Miraculously. Mysteriously. So Herod does something special. Again, I want you to think this through. We read details through, and we don't even think anything about it. He puts four squadrons. Well, it's actually tetradeons, okay? And a tetradeon was, was a, a grouping, a Roman grouping of four. So these aren't temple guards. These are Roman guards, okay? And there's four groups of four. How many? Sixteen. He wants to make very, 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 very sure that Peter ain't sliding out this time. I don't know what happened to you guys last time. There, again, the debate was whether they were temple guards on that last one, right? So it could be that he's even looking at them going, yeah, you're, you're temple guards, but it's not going to happen on my watch, right? We got Roman guards, and you're in there, and you have four, four squadrons, 16 Roman guards are going to hold this one guy in jail. Doesn't happen so well, does it? Because Peter's then what? He gets out. How does he get out? Well, the first thing we're told is that the saints are what? They're praying. And there's two descriptions of how the saints are praying. The first one is that they are ectanos, okay? In Literally, it is out of stretching. So ek is out of, tenos to stretch. So out of stretching, okay? So it's talking about fervent prayer, but the idea is that they're really reaching, they're really stretching, they're really going, this is strenuous stuff, you know? This isn't, oh God, I pray that you'll bless Peter while he's in prison. But they're really going for it, and it's continuous. How do I know it's continuous? Because he's arrested during the feast, but it's the evening before he gets executed that he's released when he comes out. And when he gets out, where does he go? The same place as he went before. He goes to Mary's house, the, the mother of John Mark, okay? And he goes to her house, okay? Because he knows that the, the brethren would be meeting there. And, and they are indeed, and what are they doing? They're praying. They're still praying for him. Now, a little aside, and I'm not going to preach on this, but it's kind of, oh, I'm going to mention it. Anyways, but it's kind of like, what were they praying for? Did you ever wonder what they were praying for? I mean, were they praying, well, just help him as he gets beheaded and um, that, you know, that, you know, that he, it doesn't hurt too bad. You know, I heard that, you know, they don't feed him much while they're, Lord, please give him three, three meals while he's there. I, I'm, I'm making fun, but I don't know what they're praying for because I know that when he gets out and he goes knock at the door, Rhoda comes to the door and she goes in and says, tell them, hey, he's here, right? Oh, he's here. And they say what? No, it can't be. No, no, it's really him. He's at the door. It's got to be his angel. Again, we can look at it and we can say, oh, what's that about? They didn't have the whole New Testament, understand? They don't, they don't have the Bible on their shelf, okay? They, so a lot of what they believe is based upon Jewish um, uh, understanding and mythologies and that kind of stuff, okay? And so it's his angel. It's his ghost, if you would. It's his, okay? And, and so... And she said, no, it really is him. So they finally like, go oh, and see who it is. You know, oh, it really is. He's like, what were you praying for? Clearly, they weren't praying for him to be what? Released. Or maybe they were. I don't know. And if they were, they really didn't believe what God could do it. So I want to ask you a question. Do you really believe God can do what, what you ask him to do? Do you really believe he's able to do his seating abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think? He is. I mean, you know, we sure, we, we sure change God sometimes. Well, you know, Congress is doing this. The Supreme Court rolled that. Like, Supreme Court rolls over God. Oh, now it's going to go to the world court. I mean, because, you know, once we make a decision in Congress, and, and they're, they're, they're going, this is my personal opinion, right? That when, they, when they go and they do the United Nations Conventions on the, on the Rights of Children, and they, they pass that, one day it's going to be passed, we become under the, the sovereignty of the United Nations, okay? And, 
And already our Supreme Court is using international law as precedent, case precedent, when they make decisions. I don't know if you know that. If you follow that stuff, please follow it. It's, it's eye-opening stuff that's going on. But when we pass that UNCRC, and it will happen, okay, Madeleine Albright signed it when she was the ambassador to the UN when Bill, Pre Bill Clinton was the president. It's being held in Congress ever since then, waiting for the opportune time to sign it until they know that they'll have the, the number to pass it. When they pass it, your children don't become just a ward of the state, they become a ward of the world. In the world, the UN will tell you what you can and cannot do with your children and elsewhere, because at that moment, we become under the sovereignty of the UN, and now any decision that the US Supreme Court makes can be appealed then, at that moment, at that time, to the world court. We haven't gone there yet. So the buck stops here with the US Supreme Court. But when they sign that, when they ratify it, it'll be like a treaty. And a treaty for the United States, a treaty trumps the Constitution. Do you know that? Check me out on it. And we sit like ostriches with our, with our head in the, in the sand. And we don't understand. We don't know. I've been watching this since the 90s. I have a copy of it on my, my computer. You can get it, go on to the UN, you can see who all signed it and when it was ratified, and you can also then go out and find out the, the, what's happened as a result of it. But here's the deal. My God is still what? Sovereign. Do you get it? Doesn't matter. So in my day, I watched it because I homeschooled. Some of you got kids in your home right now. I promise you, when we sign that, within three years, I'm not a prophet, I'm a son of a prophet, it'll become illegal for you to homeschool. Go check out all these other nations that have signed it. It'll become illegal for you to spank your child. Go check out all the other nations that signed it. Oh, no, they can't do that because we have our own sovereignty. Go check me out. And in my day of homeschooling, I still have one, right? But I, I, I feel content that I'm, she's there and she can hold her own, okay? But in my day... I mean, I struggled with this. I prayed about this fervently. What would I do if this thing was signed? How would I respond? Because I know my God is what? Sovereign. But yet, what does he want me to do in the midst of it? I've got to hold fast to that statement. My God is sovereign. And so these guys are praying, and I don't know what they're praying for. Because when Peter comes, they're shocked. Well, what's the next thing that happens? We see Peter. The angel comes, but I don't want to stop at this point because <laughs> when we find Peter, what's he doing? He's sleeping. He's got peace. He's getting ready to be beheaded the next day. What would you be doing? A few months from now, we're going to go to Paul and Silas. They're going to be in the prison in Philippi. What are they going to be doing? Singing and praying. What do we do when persecution comes our way? Yeah, we're struggling, we're crying, we're whining, we're, we're this, we're that. Peter's sleeping. God's got his back. If he's going to die, it didn't take God by surprise. He's going to glorify God the entire way. I think of Matt, Michael Sattler. I've talked about Michael Sattler. I've talked about Balthazar Hubmeyer. These people in the past go again, read Fox's Book of Martyr, consider history. It's an amazing thing. Michael Sattler, was, he was persecuted by the Lutheran Church, not the Catholic Church, but the Lutheran Church. Okay, Remember, I grew up Lutheran. Okay, so it's a big deal to me, okay? But uh, Philip Melanchthon was uh, Martin Luther's henchman, and, and, and the guy who came in behind him would arrest the, the Anabaptists. Um, those Anabaptists means the ones who had been rebaptized. They weren't baptized. So they were baptized as a baby, okay? And then when they came to faith, they got rebaptized. And so they were called Anna, again, Baptists, okay? And so Michael Sattler was arrested. He was paraded through the streets on his way to being burned at the stake. But the entire way, he proclaimed Christ to the people and, and, and was boldly telling them about the salvation in Jesus. And it was by faith and that kind of stuff, right? The stuff that Martin Luther originally believed. They stopped in the middle of it and they cut out his tongue because they wanted to stop him from, from proclaiming the gospel. And the rest of the way with a bleeding tongue he proclaimed the wonderful works of God until he died at the stake, being burned to death.
because he knew his God was sovereign. He knew that they couldn't do anything to him unless God had allowed it and that he was being honored by being persecuted in the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, blessed are you when people, what, persecute you for my name's sake. Peter's sleeping. It's great. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me, right? And it comes all the way down. Peace I leave you. With my peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give. Let your not, heart not be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Do you really believe he's making a place for you? And one day he's going to come back to take you there. Now, it'd be nice if I was in my sleep and I died in my sleep and, and I didn't even think anything about it and there was no pain. That's how I want it, right? I don't like pain. But it doesn't happen that way. God chooses the path of how I'm going to go through the portal. But what I know is one day he's going to come back for me. Now, maybe in the rapture, I may be fortunate enough to, to live long enough to see it. But there have been thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon millions who haven't. And they've gone through the portal of death. Why do I think I'm special? Why do I think I don't, I don't deserve to go through that? Do you understand? Jerry Smith, one of my mentors, very dear to me, passed into eternity Thursday morning. He struggled with cancer at the end. He's a faithful man of God. Mentored many men who were in the ministry. But he died. Just like other people die. Just like one day I'll die. Unless Jesus comes back. And it's okay. And if persecution arises, I may die in a different way than, I, than most people die in this country. I may be beheaded for the name of Jesus. And that would be an honor. Peter's sleeping. Then you have the presence of the angel. The angel comes. Note what happens here. The angel commands Peter to get ready to, and follow him. Get yourself ready. Put your sandals on. Put your cloak on. Follow me. But note, he only leads him. The angel doesn't touch the chains. What happens to the chains? They fall off. The angel doesn't touch the doors. What happens? They open up. How many doors opened at least? At least. Three at least. Because we had the first guard, the second guard, and then the, the, the gate that led out to the city. Now, I don't know whether there was a guard even at the door that led out into the hallway, but we'll assume that that's the first guard. There were 16 Roman guards. So let's say they each worked 12-hour shifts. That meant there was four at each guard post. Four. Again, I can't prove it. And then you probably had this, the normal Roman guards who were at the what? The door leading out into the city. But we're told there were guard posts, which meant that that was specifically for us to understand that in order for Peter to get out, he had to go through multiple guard posts to get there. They put him in a special spot. I don't know whether they were blinded. I don't know if they were made to sleep. I don't know how it played out. But even Peter thought he was just seeing a vision, right? But the angel walks him out all the way into the city, and then he what? He just disappears in order for him not to get the glory, but for God to get the glory. He was just a messenger. He was just a servant. I so want that. And so on Thursday night, we saw, I remember his name now, Mike Hale, right? We mentioned this yesterday. Mike Hale's been here in the past. He's a Gideon, and he's presented the Gideon ministry. All I could think of when I saw Mike on Thursday night was Gideon's. I couldn't remember his name. I said, you have to remind me, right? Steve saw him. It's Gideon's. Oh, it's Mike Hale. And I said, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. Because both of us, first thing we thought when we saw you was, Gideon's. We couldn't remember your name. I said, that's exactly how I want it to be in my life. When people see me, I don't want them to, oh, it's Bob Corbin. I want them to think, there's Jesus. Not there's Jesus, but I want him to think Jesus. Does that make sense? And how too often Bob gets in the way. I've got to keep moving. His disappearance. Then the pronouncement of Herod. This is sobering. This is like James. Don't, let, don't go past it. 
16 guards just lost their life. You were praying for Peter to get released. God answered your prayer. Peter got released. And as a result of that, 16 men just died. Were they married? Did they have kids? Did they have grandkids? I don't know. I don't know. But God in his sovereignty, the potter over the clay, did the exchange. I don't know if four of them died. I don't know if eight of them died. I don't know if all 16 of them died. But what I'm told in God's word is that the guards were executed. He judged them. Personally, the term there in the Greek is very clear. He did it. He judged them, and he had them executed. He commanded their execution. And we get into the, the epilogue. The reign of Herod was ended. That's how it ends, his demise. Because he goes down to Caesarea. He's all frustrated. He goes to Caesarea, and we're told that a group of people came, and they had this. And this is historical. It's, it's, it's marked out historically, and I'm going to read this passage coming up to you in a moment, okay? And, um, and, and as it says in the Bible, there was these people that, there was a voice of a God, it's a voice of a God, and you'll hear more about it when I read this passage I'm going to read from, from um, Josephus. But then he's executed. He's executed by who? By God. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the sovereign king, now decrees his execution. Just as he decreed the execution of James, just as he decreed the execution of the Roman soldiers, our sovereign God now decrees his execution. He gave him a chance. But Agrippa didn't take the chance. So this is from Josephus. It's up here, but I know it's tiny. This is from the Antiquities of the Jews. It says, Now when Agrippa had reigned three years over all Judea, he came to the city Caesarea. And on the second day of the festival, Herod put on a garment made wholly of silver and of a contexture truly wonderful and came into the theater early in the morning, at which time the silver of his garment being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it shone out after a surprising manner and was so resplendent as to spread a horror over those that looked intently upon him. And presently his flatterers cried out, one from one place and another from another, though not for his good, that he was a god. Upon this, the king did neither rebuke them nor reject their impious flattery. But as he presently afterward looked up, he saw an owl sitting on a certain rope over his head and immediately understood that this bird was the messenger of ill tidings as it had once been the messenger of good tidings to, to him. And he fell into the deepest sorrow, a severe pain also arose in his belly. Think about what the Bible says about, about his, his innards all being rottened out. A severe pain also rose in his belly and began in a most violent manner. And when he had been quite worn out by the pain in his belly for five days, he departed this life. Josephus wasn't a believer. He was a historian. It's fun you can go check this out on Encyclopedia Britannica, um, Wikipedia. I've done a lot of the, just to, to see what everybody else has said. Nobody wants to admit that the Bible's true. They, they reference the Bible that you know, he's mentioned in the Bible too. But they want to just say, well, he died of some disease. Yeah. God zapped him at that very moment. Say it again. <laughs> yeah, awful, awful. Worms eating him out from the inside out. Again, how does it play out? I don't know. But what I know is my God is sovereign. And God says, enough's enough. And I stopped for a moment this week. I've been pondering this a little bit. We, we've sung. Gabrielle put the music. A song of praise. By who? Who wrote it? I heard it. Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Think about it. Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of kings on the earth. And multiple times he repented and he, and he fell on and he called upon God being the true God. Agrippa's not there. Agrippa's all about himself. God knows the hearts of kings. And I'm not going to make a statement about Nebuchadnezzar and that kind of stuff, but you can go through the different kings that, that have happened okay, and what, how God has worked with them. God shuts Agrippa down after three years. It's an amazing thing. And he kills him. God kills him. He executes him. Decrees justice upon him, and it's not a pleasant thing. Because God is who? 
He's a sovereign king. And what do we see in the end? The word of God was multiplied. As we've been seeing this every single time, right? And the word of God was multiplied. He's eaten up by worms, but the word of God, it grows and multiplies. You can kill James. You can throw Peter in prison. You can do all these things you want, but guess what? I still reign. God still reigns. He's still the one who holds the trump card. His plan will continue. And here we are, almost 2,000 years later. His plan's still in action. And yes, there are people now who are starting to raise up persecution against the church again. But God's still in control. So in the end, when you consider the events of the world, is it easy to have your eyes taken off the sovereign king? It is. I know it is. It's, that's why I don't want to focus on the news. The, the news is only there to make me get all upset and, and frustrated. But I know the real news. I know the eternal news. I'm on the winning side. My God will, will rise up and he will reign. Are there Herods in prisons which seem to have you at their mercy? Are there Herods in prisons which seem to have you at their mercy? Remember, God is what? Sovereign. Peter, in the midst of all that, what? He slept. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. He had it. He understood it. Prayer is critical in the life of the church and the believer individually. We need to keep a focus on spending more time before God's throne. In a month from now, we're going to have our week of prayer and fasting, our spring week of prayer and fasting. I want to encourage you to think about that already, being prepared to, to spend that week with us together, okay? Seven o'clock every night, being in prayer, okay? Whether you choose to fast or not, that's up to you, okay? It's, again, it's not a spiritual thing. We don't take our, uh, an attendance of who's going to be here and who's not going to be here. You don't get any spiritual bonus points from us, okay? But it's a time for us to gather together and understand it's a spiritual war going on, and we want to gather together in prayer. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. I thank you that you are the God of gods. You are the King of kings. There is no one who rules over you. There is no one who gives you counsel, Lord. And yet you allow in your sovereignty for persecution and trials to come into my life, our lives. But you still reign, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that as we go through this life and as we see things that are going on, that we would wholly trust in you, wholly trust in your sovereignty, wholly trust in your, your mercy. And Lord, that we would be, as we're about to sing, be singing when the evening comes. Lord, that our worship to you would not be based upon the events of our life, but rather would be based upon who you are and what you have done. May you be glorified in us in Christ's name. Amen.